The title of this sermon, if you want to write it down, is Power in the Waiting. Power in the Waiting. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he gave his followers instructions. And really they were more than instructions because this is the resurrected Christ. These were commands with authority. They were orders. The first order that Jesus gave his followers was not an order to go. The first order Jesus gave his followers was an order to wait. It is not that Jesus did not want the gospel to go forth in that moment to all the earth. But Jesus knew that the gospel would not go forth without the power of the gospel propelling it. Jesus ordered his followers to wait for power before they go. My children are learning what it means to wait. We'll go, uh, we'll get ready to leave the house and we'll say, all right, kids, it's time to go to the car. And we'll hear the thundering of feet as they're running to the door. And then one of us, Marianne and I, will say, wait, put your shoes on first. Or even, wait, put your pants on first. Wait before you go. You're not prepared yet. The early church was not yet prepared for the mission of God to carry the gospel of Jesus into all the world. They had been with Jesus. They knew what they were supposed to do, mostly. But they were lacking one necessity. The power promised to them. And Jesus said to them, Wait. Everyone say that together. Wait. Wait. Yes. Waiting resists impatience. Waiting allows for the preparation and the provision that is needed in order to succeed. But there's another reason to wait. And that is to resist impulsiveness. Sometimes my kids will say this. I'm hungry. I want a snack. And most of the time when they say that, it's as we're fixing dinner, right before we're about to eat a meal. And so we say to them, wait, we're about to eat dinner. If you eat this snack now, you won't eat the dinner that we are preparing for you. Don't spoil the meal that is about to come. Well, God is giving uh, the early church this same instruction. He's going to use them in a mighty way to spread the message of Jesus beyond Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. But if the early church attempts to fulfill that mission on impulse without first waiting for the empowering of God, they will fail. Waiting resists impulsiveness. Waiting resists spoiling what God has prepared. Both impatience and impulsiveness are impediments to the power of the advancement of the gospel. And so the Lord says, before you go, wait. 
Now, when I tell my daughter Addison to wait, Addison usually sighs. She goes, but Daddy, it's hard to wait. And waiting is hard. But when waiting involves the things of God, waiting is essential. Empowerment is in the waiting. Not waiting on God is disastrous. So Jesus does not send His followers into the world on mission, unprepared or unprovided for. And Jesus will not allow His followers to spoil what is yet to come by attempting to obey His commandments in their own strength and in their own power. He is sending them help. The grace of God. He's sending them power. But power will not come as they go. Power will come as they wait. The power of God is available for those who wait on the Lord. Now the book of Acts is what's called a theological history. It's a narrative of events that actually happened within the history of the church. Events that capture God working through His earliest followers of Jesus, through the early church, as the church is built and as the church carries on the work of her Lord Jesus in the world. Acts chapter 1, verse 1, look at it with me. It says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Acts is the second book written to a man named Theophilus. The first book was the Gospel of Luke. I want you to listen to how Luke began his Gospel. This is Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. He says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who were from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word, just as they have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Listen to this. That you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Luke writes to Theophilus so that Theophilus might have certainty concerning the things he has been taught about Jesus. And like Theophilus, you may have questions about who Jesus is. You may have questions about what Jesus does and has done. But God offers through His Word that He has breathed out, that He has preserved for us in time. God offers a certainty concerning all of these things. And verse 1 of Acts goes on to give us the subject of the book of Acts and the subject of our passage. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Jesus is the subject of that sentence and Jesus is the subject of the book of Acts and indeed of the entire Bible. Don't be distracted by the title, Acts of the Apostles. This is not a book about the apostles and their works. It's a book about Jesus and His work through them and through the church, through His Holy Spirit. Keep that in mind as we move forward. 
Luke records what Jesus began to do and teach, and that word began is very important. You may want to underline or circle that in your Bible if you feel comfortable doing so. He began to do these things. It doesn't say what Jesus did and what Jesus taught, but it's what Jesus began to do and began to teach because Jesus is continuing to do these things through his body, through his church. What God begins, God continues. What God continues, God will complete. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Acts 1, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now Jesus did not ascend into heaven and leave his followers without first giving them commands. That word command, it may be translated as instructions in your Bible, but it applies the authority that Jesus has when he gives them. These are orders. They are not suggestions. They are not optional. Verse 2 says that Jesus had given these commands, these orders, through the Holy Spirit. Now that's incredibly important. The Holy Spirit is the power through whom Jesus gives these orders to his followers. And the Holy Spirit is the one who will empower his followers to obey those commands, those orders. Think of it this way. When you go and stay at a hotel, uh, oftentimes they have a key card to get you into your room. And so when you go to the front desk, uh, the clerk takes a blank key card and runs it through a machine. And that machine puts a code on that key card. And that code has the power to open up your room's door. But you will not be able to open your room's door. You'll be powerless to do it unless the clerk hands you that programmed key. In the same way Jesus, through His Holy Spirit, gives orders that have the power to change the world, but Jesus will give them His Holy Spirit. He will give His power to His followers so that they will have the power to then obey what he has ordered them to do. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. It's mentioned three times in the text that we read, Acts 1, 1 through 11. The Holy Spirit is the one through whom Jesus gives orders to his followers in verse 2. The Holy Spirit is the one in whom believers in Jesus are baptized into in verse 5. And the Holy Spirit is the one who will rush upon believers in power in verse 8. It's promised to come. And then in verse 3, the Holy Spirit is even the one implied who uh, is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Look at verse 3. Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Jesus presented himself alive to his followers. That's the resurrection. His sufferings 
That's the cross where he died. He rose from the dead. All of this, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his life, his coming, everything was necessary for Jesus to endure so that we might be forgiven of our sins, so that we might be made right with God and be able to know Him. And all of this had to happen first before the mission of God went to the ends of the earth. Listen now as I read Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 49. This is Jesus after he had raised from the dead. He's on a road to a place called Emmaus. He encounters two of his disciples. And it says, Then Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Those things had to happen first. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. This is why I pray the way I pray before preaching, that God would open our minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Everything God does, God does with a purpose. God does in right order. God does in right time. Verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. All of Jesus' work, all of his teachings point to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the rule of God, the authority of God, the worship of God, the will of God, the power of God. We sang that song a minute ago, heard it sung. Uh, You are my king. That's a prayer. A prayer of declaration to the Lord. You are my king. And the reason we call Jesus king is not just because we need another title for him. We call him king because he's king of a kingdom that we belong to by his power. And God desires his church to be a kingdom-focused church. God desires Southside Baptist Church to be a kingdom-focused church. Now, what does that mean? That means that we focus on those things that are important to Jesus. Not to focus on ourselves, but to focus on the kingdom and what matters for the kingdom and using what God gives us to bring others into the will and into the worship and into the ways of the kingdom of God through a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen to verse 4 and 5. It says, While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days 
from now. Now twice in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, here's an English lesson, there's a contrastive conjunction, the word but. It's a contrast. And twice it's used, 1 in verse 4, 1 in verse 8. He ordered them in verse 4 not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. That word, but, you may want to circle it there, it creates a tension for us. It's a waiting word. There will be a wait. There will be a delay of what you desire. But in the two times that word is used, it precedes three teachings of Jesus that I want us to look at. The first teaching is here in verse 4. But, wait for the promise. We should endeavor to be what's called a Great Commission church. The Great Commission is best known, Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20. It says this, Jesus said to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. But if the church endeavors to fulfill the Great Commission, discipleship that's required by going, by baptizing, by teaching in her own strength and in her own power, she'll fail. If God's people attempt to obey the ways of God in their own strength and by their own power, they will fail. Brothers and sisters, if Southside Baptist Church attempts to live by our own strength and minister in our own power, we will fail. I'm very grateful to the Lord that we have the building that we have and the space that we have. I'm very grateful to God that we have a budget. Praise the Lord for resources. But I sense the Lord reminding me of this as I was reading through Acts this week. It was just such a strong impression that the Lord said, Christopher, you don't need a building. You don't need a budget. What you need and what the church needs, what Southside needs, is the power of God to fulfill the mission of God in the world. Buildings and budgets are not the source of our power. The Holy Spirit of God is the source of our power and our strength. Without God's power, we have nothing, though it may appear that we have everything. This order of Jesus for his disciples to wait has become what I want to suggest the great omission of the great commission. We will not go unless we have first received power from on high. Look at verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, after hearing all these things, they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? This was the hope of the people of Israel throughout their history, that God would send a Savior and pour out his Spirit and restore the kingdom to them that had been lost because of their rebellion. But in verse 7, Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. 
Now, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11 is full of what's called temporal language. It's language of time. You see all these words, began, until, now, season, time. The question that all of this brings to the forefront of this text is the question of when. And the answer of the question of when is an order to wait. Jesus doesn't answer their question with a time or a date. But he exhorts them instead to wait. To wait on the Father and what belongs to Him. Church, don't get ahead of God. There are things that belong to God and to God alone. There are times... There are seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority and are not for us to know. The question that we ask today is, Lord Jesus, when will You return? When will You wipe away every tear from our eyes? When will You make death no longer a reality? When will You remove all mourning and all wailing and all pain? When will those things no longer exist? When will injustice no longer prevail? Well, we know that day is coming. We pray that day comes soon. But it is not for us to know when. But God gives us power in the waiting. And the power of God in the waiting is God Himself. His Holy Spirit. His presence, that is the power of God. And one of the fruits of God's Spirit at work within us is the fruit of patience. We need the Holy Spirit to work in us patience so that we might glorify and enjoy God and be on mission for Him until He returns. Acts chapter 1, verse 4, Jesus says, Wait for the promise. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 gives us the other contrast, the other word, but. Verse 8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will receive power. God's promise of His presence is a promise of His power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. There is no power for God's mission without God Himself. There is no gospel of God without the God of the gospel. The grace of God, the only source of hope for the church of Jesus Christ, is His Holy Spirit. God's Spirit empowers God's people with His presence to glorify and enjoy Him in the work, in the waiting. Just as my daughter Addison says, Daddy, it's hard to wait. And I say, Addison, why don't I wait with you? That's what God is doing. He's waiting with His people. Did you know that God waits too? God is very patient. And at times, He waits. At times, he even delays action. One great example of this was after Jesus had died on the cross, the Scriptures tell us that 
He was buried in a tomb. God waited one day, and Jesus' body stayed in the tomb. God waited a second day, and Jesus' body stayed in the tomb. Why did God wait until the third day? And the only answer that I can offer for that question is to say that God waited until the third day until it seemed as if there was no hope so that God might raise Jesus in power. So that there was no mistaking that it was the power of God that worked that miracle. God often waits until it seems like the last moment to act. Until it seems as if there is no hope left. But for those who persevere in the waiting and trusting of God, they will see the power of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 says, And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe? According to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in heavenly places. And Romans 8, verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And this leads to the last statement of Jesus. Verse 8. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will be my witnesses. God empowers us by His Spirit to be His witnesses while we wait. This is the work for us in the waiting. The work of witnessing. We are witnesses by the Holy Spirit confirming within us and through us that the message of Jesus and the promise of God in Him are true. And for all who repent of their sins and trust Jesus by faith, they will be saved and will be born again and will find everlasting life and may become witnesses for Jesus too. Acts chapter 1, verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took them out of their sight. That's important that he took them out of their sight because living for Jesus is living by faith, not by what we can see, but by what we believe. And what we believe is what God says is true. I don't have to understand God to believe God. That's what faith is. Undoubtedly, You've wondered, some of you, all of you, why God has yet to answer some of your prayers. Why God allowed to happen the things that He has allowed to happen in your life. But faith reminds us that the questions of when 
and why have answers that belong to God, and those answers are for Him to reveal or conceal. But what God has given to us, what God has revealed, we believe by faith. We don't have to know when Jesus will return to believe that He will return and that He will judge the world in righteousness on that day. Verses 10 through 11. And while they were gazing into heaven as He went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw Him go into heaven. This Jesus, not someone like Jesus, but the same one that walked on this earth with you, the same one that died on that cross for you, the same one that was buried in that tomb and raised from the dead and ascended into heaven, this same Jesus is the one who's coming again. And by the way, waiting on God does not mean motionlessness. It does not mean standing and staring into heaven, waiting on God to move. He's already moved. He is moving. Waiting on God does not mean motionlessness. Waiting on God means being missional. It was at the moment Jesus was taken up into heaven that two messengers from heaven stood by these men to say, move on. Why are you staring at the sky, looking intently as if something's going to change? Go do what Jesus said to do. Go wait. I want to read to you from the prophet Isaiah. And what I'm about to read is going to be the invitation for you. It's going to show you that these things that we've read in Acts have been true and prophesied Throughout all of the scripture, all of the Bible says amen to these events. I want you to listen to what Acts chapter 40 has to say, or Isaiah chapter 40 has to say about the power of God and waiting on him. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 18. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare to him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, Scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. That's how powerful God is. To whom then 
will you compare me that I should be like him, like this idol, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? In other words, I'm waiting. God's not listening. God's not acting. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths with all their energy shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. May we as God's people and as his church wait for the power and the strength of God before we move.